Well, I want to speak this morning on John chapter 1 and verse 18. John chapter 1 and verse 18 reads, No man hath seen God at any time. The only begotten Son, which is in the bosom of the Father, he hath declared him. I want to speak this morning on the prophetic office of the Lord Jesus Christ. This verse and the amazing verses which surround it reminds us of the uniqueness of the Lord Jesus Christ and the fact that it is only through the Lord Jesus Christ that anyone can know God and that anyone can have a relationship with God in a supreme and a unique sense he is the final prophet of God the revealer of God and of his plan of salvation in the Old Testament the the great prophet of God was of course uh, Moses the, 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 all the other prophets saw Moses as the model and the template of what a true prophet should be in number six when Miriam and Aaron criticized Moses for taking an Ethiopian wife and claim some kind of equality and parity uh, with Moses uh, as a prophets. Uh, the Lord came down in a pillar of a cloud and said, Hear now my words, if there be a prophet among you, I the Lord will make myself known unto him in a vision and will speak unto him in a dream. My servant is not so who is faithful in all mine house. With him will I speak mouth to mouth, even apparently, and not in dark speeches. And the similitude or the likeness of the Lord shall he behold. Wherefore then were ye not afraid to speak against my servant Moses? And even in Deuteronomy uh, 34, the testimony there is that there arose not a prophet in Israel like Moses, whom the Lord knew face to face, literally mouth to mouth. And yet John, in this first chapter, is, in, is stating implicitly at least, at least that one greater than Moses has come. Verse 17, for the law was given by Moses, but grace and truth came by Jesus Christ. No man hath seen God at any time. The only begotten Son, which is in the bosom of the Father, he hath declared him. The Son, the Lord Jesus Christ, has said, has taught and done things that Moses could not the Lord Jesus is the fulfilment of the prophecy in Deuteronomy 18.15 of a, of, a, of a great prophet, one like Moses, who would come. The Lord God, thy God will raise up unto thee a prophet from the midst of thee, 
of thy brethren like unto me, unto him shall ye hearken. Deuteronomy 18 verse 15. And, and it didn't take the early church very long to recognise Jesus as this prophet like Moses. In Acts 3 verses 22 and 23, the Apostle Peter declares in his sermon, For Moses truly said unto the fathers, A prophet shall the Lord your God raise up unto you of your brethren like unto me. Him shall ye hear in all things whatsoever he shall say unto you. And it shall come to pass that every soul which will not hear that prophet shall be destroyed among the people. You see, they recognize the Lord Jesus as the fulfillment of this prophecy. Philip excitedly says to Nathaniel in John 1.45, We have found him of whom Moses in the law and the prophets did write, Jesus of Nazareth the son of Joseph. Jesus was the promised one. He fulfilled precisely the prophecy of Deuteronomy 18.15. It says, One from the midst of thee, one of thy brethren, will be raised up. Well, the Lord Jesus was from the people of Israel. He was from the tribe of Judah. And he was a prophet like unto Moses greater than Moses but like unto him both were sent to bring salvation to God's people both fasted for 40 days and nights both were children in Egypt both at times when evil kings began a holocaust against the babies of Israel both performed great miracles, visible miracles. Both had ministries which were publicly approved by a divine voice from heaven. Both became poor to make their people rich. And they were both willing to sacrifice their lives for their people. Both provided bread from heaven. Both their faces shone with the glory of God both chose 12 and 70 people as the key number of people that would help them to fulfill their mission yet it is Jesus the Lord Jesus the only begotten son of God who is the greater prophet the one who ultimately brings us grace and truth and reveals God to us if you're a seeker then after truth if you are a seeker after God if you have a deep sense in your heart that there, there must be more to life than money and pleasure and all the vanities of this world then you need to listen to the central message of Christianity that Jesus Christ the Son of God has revealed the will of God for our salvation. The Heidelberg Catechism, one of the great reformed catechisms, calls the Lord Jesus our chief prophet and teacher who has fully revealed to us 
the secret counsel and will of God concerning our redemption. God has spoken into this world through the person and word of his son, the divine prophet, Jesus Christ. The writer to the Hebrews sets this out in the first verse. God, who at sundry times and in diverse manners spake in time past unto the fathers by the prophets, hath in these last days spoken unto us by his Son, whom he hath appointed heir of all things, by whom also he made the worlds. In the Old Testament, divine truth was revealed at different times and in different ways, different methods were used. But now the full, the final, the complete revelation of God, the full and final declaration of all that God has decided to say to this world, to you and I, has been spoken to us by his Son. There is no other route there is no other person to go to. It is all, in the new covenant, it is all spoken through his son. And that's why it's completely useless, dear friends, to seek God, to seek ultimate truth in any other way than through the Lord Jesus Christ. He is uniquely qualified and authorised to be our chief prophet and teacher. In the fuller context of John chapter 1, we discover that, of course, Jesus is God. He is the second person of the Trinity, who was made flesh and dwelt among us. And we beheld his glory, the glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. He came from heaven to earth to show us what God is like to make a way, and in fact to be the way for men and women to know God. Well, the question then I have really for you today is, do you know God? Do you know God? Do you want to know God? Maybe is another question. Do you know Jesus Christ? Because if you don't know Jesus, you cannot know God, because it is only through Jesus that anyone can know God. That's really at the heart of the gospel message. And our text this morning, John 1, chapter 18, uh, says some vital things which I want us to understand. It would take many hours to, to do justice to each point, so it can only skim, but there are really three points I want to make from this text. The first is that God is invisible and inaccessible to man unless God chooses to reveal himself. John 1.18 states, No man hath seen God at any time. Paul described God in 1 Timothy 6.16 in this way. 
who only hath immortality, dwelling in the light, which no man can approach unto, whom no man hath seen nor can see, to whom be honour and power everlasting. Amen. You see, we, we speak of God so glibly, don't we? Because we're, we're so easy to become over-familiar. But this God whom we worship um, dwells in light, inapproachable. The light is the light of his glorious holiness. And he is invisible. He's an invisible pure, holy, perfect spirit. And man can search and does, of course, search for all kinds of knowledge and technology, but the knowledge of God and his ways are beyond the brains, the ability, the investigative methods and tools of the human mind. And yet, Man is willing freely to offer God advice, isn't, isn't he? And criticism. And to say, well, why does God do this? And why did God do that? What arrogance the, the natural man has to speak against this God. Paul says in Romans eleven thirty three and 34, Oh, the depth of the riches both of the wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable are his judgments and his ways past finding out. For who hath known the mind of the Lord? Or who hath been his counsellor? Who has been his... So many people are, are, are standing up today and, and being God's counsellor, being his advisor. But Paul says, who... Who hath been his counsellor? God doesn't need a human advisor. He is God, dwelling in inapproachable light. How arrogant man is. Even Moses was not shown God fully. He was only shown the similitude of God. In Exodus 34, God said to Moses... Thou canst not see my face, for there shall no man see me and live. You see, Moses saw more of God than, than anyone in the Old Testament, but he was only allowed to see a greater revelation of God's visible glory, a kind of theophany. If he had seen God's face, he would have died. No man has ever seen God's face. No human, no, no mere human being. Even Mo Moses did not have access to the full knowledge and being of God. He was but a man. He was but a man. And that's my first point, is that God is invisible and inaccessible to man unless God chooses to reveal himself to us. We could spend a thousand lifetimes in our own strength and wisdom. We wouldn't, we wouldn't discover God. Secondly, 
The second point is that this text teaches is that Jesus is uniquely qualified to reveal God to us. No man has seen God at any time. The only begotten Son, which is in the bosom of of the Father, he hath declared him. Why is he uniquely qualified? First of all, because of his unique nature as the only begotten Son. Jesus is God's Son. And there's a great deal of confusion about what this means, what this term only begotten Son means. What does it mean to say uh, that Jesus is the only begotten Son? It's always uh, risky uh, going into these matters and it can, you can easily become too complex and lose people when trying to explain these things. But it is important that we try and stretch our minds to some extent to understand that our Lord Jesus Christ exists as the Son of the Father. He is not the Father. He is the Son. And yet this word, this Son, had no beginning. He had no beginning. There never was a time when the Son did not exist. The same is true, of course, of the Holy Spirit, um, the Lord and giver of life who proceeds from the Father and the Son, but we're, we're talking about the Son here. Yet the Father, we must be clear about this, the Father is not the Son, and the Son is not the Father. And we do not say that the Father was begotten. The Father was not begotten. But we do say that the Son was begotten. So what does that mean? Well, when you beget something, you beget something of the same kind as yourself. A a human begets a human, a lion begets a lion, and so we could go on. When you create something or make something, you create something of a different kind than yourself. When man created a wheel for the first time, he created something different, of a different nature or essence from himself. And so therefore, the Lord Jesus was begotten, not made. Because he is of the same essence and nature as God the Father. And part of the essence and nature of God the Father is his eternity. And the Son he eternally begets is eternal without beginning and without end. He is not a creature. Jesus is not a created being he is eternally begotten he is as Hebrews 1 3 states the brightness of his glory and the express image of his person 
Paul talks in Philippians of Jesus being in the form of God. So the, teacher, the scripture teaches that Jesus is eternally begotten but not made, never having a beginning and is in very nature God. That's a lot to take in but it's important we understand that to some extent. The Nicene Creed states, I believe in one God, the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth and of all things visible and invisible, and in one Lord Jesus Christ, the only begotten Son of God, begotten of the Father before all worlds, God of God, light of light, very God, of very God, begotten, not made, being of one substance with the Father by whom all things were made. And so the Bible teaches that this one, this only begotten Son of the Father, was made flesh and dwelt among us, and that we beheld his glory, the glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. Sometimes you can lose the wonder of that. That this only begotten, eternally begotten Son was the one that came and became flesh. And we, he was literally here. And we beheld his glory. Jesus came from heaven to earth to show us the way to the Father. That's the first reason he is uniquely qualified to reveal God. Uniquely qualified to be our chief teacher and prophet of God because he is the Son of God. Secondly, Jesus is uniquely, uniquely qualified to reveal God to us because of the intimacy and personal knowledge he has about the Father. Do you notice that in our text? No man hath seen God at any time. The only begotten Son, which is in the bosom of the Father. Which is in the bosom of the Father. He hath declared him. It's a phrase which is, seems to have died out, I think, amongst young, young people now. We used to talk about having a bosom friend or a, a bosom pal. Never, you never hear that phrase. It was someone who you were close to, you, you would, who would really know you and you would really know him. Uh, and you'd share secrets and, and, uh, and things. And you would be really close. It was your bosom friend. It implies intimacy and friendship and love. Well, we have to magnify that millions of times to get anywhere near what this means in this text. But it speaks of the intimate relationship the Lord Jesus has with his Father. Who else better knows the thoughts, the characteristics, the plans, the character of the Father better than the Son of God? There can be no one better qualified because he is intimately 
acquainted with the Father. Again and again the Bible tells us that God is beyond the reach of sinful man. He, he cannot be found by searching. Job 11.7 Canst thou by searching find out God? Canst thou find out the Almighty unto perfection? And, and man in his natural condition can't understand sp spiritual things anyway. Uh, the natural man, Paul says, receiveth not the things of the Spirit of God. For they are foolishness unto him, neither can he know them, because they are spiritually discerned. If God is to be known, dear friends, and if you want to know God and have a relationship with God, it can only be made known, God can only be made known by someone who already possesses true knowledge of God. And Jesus is the only one who can, the only one who did. Because of who he is, the eternal Son of God, and because he speaks from a, a unique vantage point of intimate and eternal communion with the Father. He is this long-promised greater Moses, this great prophet, one like Moses but who knows God even more fully and even more intimately than Moses whom, with whom God spoke face to face. It's amazing, isn't it? Do you want to know God and have a relationship with God this morning? Then go to the one who knows the Father, that knows God, because he is the only begotten Son of God. Jesus constantly, in fact, emphasised that he had personal and unique knowledge of God. And that was one of the reasons he said, I am the way, the truth and the life, that no man can come to the Father but by me. John 7.29, Jesus said, But I know him. I know him, for I am from him, and he hath sent me. John 8.55, Jesus said, Yet ye have not known him, but I know him. And if I should say I know him not, I shall be a liar like not you, but I know him and keep his saying. The Lord is always saying, I know him, I know him. You don't know him as I know him. I'm from him. He sent me. John 17, 25. O righteous Father, the world hath not known thee, but I have known thee. And these have known that thou hast sent me. You see, the Lord Jesus Christ is in the bosom of the Father. He's uniquely qualified to reveal the truth of God to us. And that's why you have to come to him. Thirdly and finally, this text teaches us that not only is Jesus uniquely qualified to reveal God to us but it, it states that Jesus has in fact revealed God to us the end of the verse no man hath seen God at any time the only begotten son which is in the bosom of the father 
he hath declared him. He hath declared him. Jesus is the prophet like Moses that would be raised up from the people of Israel a new and a greater Moses, one who would lead an even greater exodus, an even greater liberation. He would lead his people into real salvation. You see, the task of the Old Testament prophet was far more than the, the, the soothsayers of the, of the nations and, and those who indulged in divination and witchcraft. Uh, this is the context in which the, the prophecy in, in Deuteronomy 18 arises. God is saying, you, you will not be able to open the window to the future. You will not be able to know the path ahead through divination and through, through child sacrifice and through soothsayers. He says, I will raise up a prophet. I will speak to you. And so many today, they're trying to, to find the way, they're trying to find a glimpse into the future through witchcraft, through tarot cards, through superstition, through all kinds of uh, forbidden and wicked ways. But you know, God has provided one way for us to know the path ahead, to know the way of truth, to know the way of life. And it's Jesus Christ, God's Son. Literally, the prophetic role was to lay out the way to God. This was supremely done in the Old Testament through Moses, but also by the other prophets which followed. But in these last days, in the New Covenant, the divine prophetic office is held by one, Jesus Christ. And he hath declared him. This Lord Jesus has declared God, whom no man hath seen at any time. Now Jesus has declared him. The Greek word translated as declared, or the phrase declared, uh, as translated declared him, is... Uh, a word from which we get the word exegete or exegesis, which is what I'm trying to do now, taking a, a verse and trying to explain it so you understand it, to, to unfold a narrative, to unfold the meaning of something. And the Lord Jesus is the exegete of the Father, and he is in a, in a way also the exegesis of the Father. John 14, 9, Jesus said these words to Philip. You, you can almost hear the exasperation in the Lord Jesus' voice. John 14, 9, Jesus saith unto him, Have I been so long time with you? And yet hast thou not known me, Philip? He that hath seen me hath seen the Father. And sayest thou then, show us the Father? You see, the Lord Jesus has declared God to us. Christ is our prophet who reveals the truth of God to us. 
The Lord Jesus accomplishes this. He accomplishes the work of a prophet through, first of all, his earthly teaching ministry and by speaking through the apostles. Now the apostolic era has ended. New revelation from God has ceased. But Jesus continues his office as prophet from heaven. And he does this by illuminating the meaning of the apostolic word and the word of the Old Testament, the scriptures to us through the ministry of the Holy Spirit. Westminster Shorter Catechism, question 24. How doth Christ execute the office of a prophet? Answer, Christ executeth the office of a prophet in revealing to us by his word and spirit the will of God for our salvation. That means, practically speaking, that at this very moment, at this very time, in this very service, anyone who seeks after God can find God through the continuing prophetic ministry of the Lord Jesus Christ who executes this ongoing work by his word I'm holding in my hand and by the Holy Spirit the word and the spirit is so important to understand that both are required the word and the spirit some Christians give the impression that the Christian life is only about the word and others give the impression that it's only about the Holy Spirit but Christ is the revealer of God to lost men and women and to his people in the church through the word and the spirit of course nowhere in the Bible does it say that Jesus has revealed to us everything that there is to know about God I don't think we, would hand, we could handle it. We can hardly handle what we've been revealed. But Christ specifically came in his prophetic office to reveal the will of God for our salvation. And in this post-apostolic age, through the scriptures, the Bible, and all of this is the word of Christ which declares the will of God for our salvation. Our salvation. This was the reason John gives, in fact, for writing the gospel in the first place. In chapter 20, 31, it says, These are written that ye might believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that believing ye might have life in his name. All the scripture, the Old Testament, as well as the New Testament has the same end and purpose it is, all the, it is all the word of Christ there's a couple of verses which when you really well even if you just understand them in a basic way it transforms your understanding of the Bible and those verses are 1 Peter 1 verses 10 11 and 12 and this is talking about the Old Testament it says there 
of which salvation the prophets have inquired and searched diligently who prophesied of the grace that should come unto you searching what or what manner of time the spirit of Christ which was in them did signify when it testified beforehand the sufferings of Christ and the glory that should follow unto whom it was revealed that not unto themselves but unto us they did minister the things which are now reported unto you by them that have preached the gospel unto you with the Holy Ghost sent down from heaven which things the angels desire to look into the spirit of Christ was in was in the Old Testament prophets as they wrote the scriptures but scripture also makes it clear that the word without the Holy Spirit would be insufficient Jesus promised to send the Holy Spirit when he returned to the Father and he calls the Holy Spirit the Spirit of Truth John 16 verse 13 Howbeit, when he, the Spirit of truth, is come, he will guide you into all truth, for he shall not speak of himself, but whatsoever he shall hear, that shall he speak, and he will show you things to come. Well, the Holy Spirit did that through the apostles. And together with the Old Testament scripture, he inspired the full written word of God Old and New Testaments the spirit of truth used men of God to speak the very word of God and through divine providence those words were inscripturated they were written down not necessarily at the same time but through a divine providence the verbal word of God through inspired men, mainly men and sometimes women, was written down and preserved without error in the original manuscripts. And these, the copies of those original manuscripts were preserved through providence without error God superintended the purity of his word and inspired the original authors and writers and speakers of his word directly by the spirit of truth now of course no English or Portuguese or any other kind of language in translation can be said to be directly inspired in the same way but as the Westminster Confession of Faith states even in a faithful translation the word of God dwells plentifully plentifully the Westminster Confession of Faith says the Old Testament in Hebrew which was the native language of the people of God of old and the New Testament in Greek which at the time of the writing of it was 
most generally known to the nations, being immediately inspired by God and by his singular care and providence, kept pure in all ages, are therefore authentical. So as in all controversies of religion, the church is finally to appeal to them in the original languages. But because these original tongues are not known to all the people of God who have right unto and interest in the scriptures and are commanded in the fear of God to read and search them, therefore they are to be translated into the vulgar language of every nation unto which they come, that the word of God dwelling plentifully in all, they may worship him in an acceptable manner and through patience and comfort of the scriptures may have hope. <clears throat> I go through these things just to assure you that by the Holy Spirit we have the inspired, inerrant, infallible scripture through God's careful providence in the keeping of the purity of his word. But even that wouldn't be sufficient. For us to know the way of salvation. Because without the ongoing ministry of the Holy Spirit. We would not understand the word of God. 1 Corinthians 2.14 The natural man receiveth not the things of the spirit of God. Their foolishness to him. Neither can he know them because they are spiritually discerned. Every single one of, one of us needs the inward illumination of the spirit of God. For the understanding of the things revealed in the word of God. In fact we wouldn't even be convinced that the Bible was the word of God. Without the inward work of the Holy Spirit bearing witness by and with the word in our hearts. So dear friends the Lord Jesus. The only begotten son of God through the word and by the spirit continues his office as our chief teacher and chief prophet. There is no other truth, there is no other way. The consequences of ignoring this Jesus are severe. Peter preached, quoting Deuteronomy, that it shall come to pass that every soul which will not hear that prophet shall be destroyed among the people. The consequence of ignoring the prophetic voice of Christ is eternal punishment in hell. But the Lord Jesus promises that knowledge of God he promises us who come to him knowledge of God. And knowledge of God is this another way of saying you have possession of eternal life. John 17.3 says, This is life eternal, that they might know thee, the only true God and Jesus Christ whom thou hast sent. Eternal life isn't just kind of some indis. Um, undefinable thing it is knowledge of God and so seeker of God come to Christ and you will receive eternal life 
you will receive the true knowledge of God from Jesus, the true prophet, our chief prophet and teacher. And may the Lord add a blessing to the reading, to the preaching of his word today. Amen. Feel free to contact us at Sovereign Grace Church in Tiverton. Email us at grace2seekers at gmail.com. That's grace2seekers at gmail.com. Alternatively, you can visit our website at www.sovereigngracereformedchurch.com. Dot co dot uk